Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Uriah St. Gist. Continuing the Seven Last Plagues, Part 1. God wanted to send a clear message to Pharaoh. That's the reason why he sent all these plagues and why they were ten. He could have wiped out Pharaoh and all of Egypt just like that, but he chose to do it this way because God likes drama. I'm putting it in my... God likes to do things in a grand way so that the message is clear. If you do it just in one go, you might miss it. But he lets it draw out so that you can clearly see. And what is the message he was trying to send to Pharaoh is that, Pharaoh, you are not all-powerful. God wanted to show Pharaoh that he was the one that was all-powerful and not Pharaoh. And this is why God asked Moses to go to Pharaoh with the first plague when Pharaoh went to the river Nile. There is a great significance in this. The river Nile was very important to the Egyptians. They actually had, they worshipped the river Nile. There was a god, there were several gods associated with the river Nile. There were gods that were uh, protecting the source of the river Nile. There was a god that was responsible for um, the, the flooding of the river Nile. Because the whole area was a very arid and very dry area. But because of the flowing of the river Nile through this country, the land became fertile. And so they attributed... Follow closely with me now. They attributed their prosperity to the river Nile. Just like Paul says in Romans, they turn themselves away from the creator and they worship the creature, the created. Does that happen in the world today? People have, I mean, I see people tell you, you know, we have people who have shifted away from God. They don't believe in God anymore. But they say things like, the universe is being good to me today. Have you heard this? The universe, really? You have erased God, the creator of the universe, and you have replaced him with objects that he has created. And you are worshipping these objects instead. That's what the Egyptians were doing. God wanted to bring them back into the alignment of worshipping him as creator. And so that's the reason he told Moses to go to Pharaoh. When Pharaoh went down to the river, it is believed that every morning Pharaoh would go down to the river to worship the river God. And God says to Moses, at that time, go and speak to him so that he can know it's not the river God, but Jehovah God, creator God, is the one who is all-powerful. So the first plague falls. And I want us to go down to verse 16. This is what God says to Moses that he should tell Pharaoh. And you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. 
That's what it was all about. God was using these 10 plagues as a witness to Pharaoh and the whole entire nation of Egypt so that they can know that it's not their false gods who are true, but it's the true God of the Hebrew people, the God who created the heavens and the earth. All of this was a grand evangelistic campaign drawing a whole nation and their leader to the true God of heaven so that they would worship him. Do you see this? And then he says, Behold, I will strike the waters of the river with the rod that is my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. But then you get to verse 22. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with the enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. The magicians of Egypt said, so what? We can do this as well. That was the first plague. Water into blood. And by the way, there's another piece of imagery here that we cannot miss. The very first plague, when God wanted to show the Egyptians his power, the very first plague, the very first miracle, the very first plague that he did was to turn the waters of Egypt into blood. Do you remember what Jesus' first miracle was? Jesus was an ordinary carpenter's son, the son of Joseph. That's all people knew him as. But his parents knew that he was the anointed Messiah. And when he is beginning his earthly ministry, when he is about to let the world know that he is God, what is the very first miracle that he performs? He turns what? Water into blood? <laughs> no, into wine. Looks like blood. But you might be saying, Pastor, it doesn't quite fit. But wait a minute. Do you remember the Last Supper? What did Jesus take? He took the wine and he said what? This is my blood. So that wine was a symbol of blood. When God wanted to let Pharaoh know that he was powerful and he was God, he was the true God, the first miracle, the first plague that he sent was water to blood. When Jesus was beginning his earthly ministry to let people know that he was God, the first miracle that he performed was turning water into wine, which was a symbol of his blood. Very clear. But the Egyptians with their magicians said, we can do that as well. No big deal. And then we switch over to uh, chapter 8, verse 7. The second plague of frogs. Verse 7, and the magicians did so with the enchantments and brought up the frogs on the land. And the very same thing was done with the third plague, chapter 8, verse 19, then the magician said, uh, by the way, when we get to, yes, the, the, the third plague, hmm, something very interesting is happening here. Let's read verse 18, from verse 18 of chapter 8. 
Now the magicians so work with the enchantments to bring forth lies, but what does it say? They could not. They could not bring forth lies like they had done with the other plagues. And what do they say? Verse 19, then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. How beautiful is it? For the others, they were able to replicate through their magic, through the power of Satan. But God put a stop to it. And they could no longer replicate that same miracle. And they confessed with their lips to Pharaoh. They became witnesses. They became evangelists themselves. Saying to Pharaoh that this is the work of God. They basically said, well, I'm out. This is too much. We can't do this. There is a greater power in control here that we can do nothing about. And from that moment on, the plagues fell only upon Egypt. And the children of Israel were spared. God wanted to work in a very special way, in a very powerful way. He could have had the plagues only fall on Egypt from the beginning. But he did it so that they would know this is no coincidence. That the magicians themselves are testifying that this is the work of God. And you would think that this would soften Pharaoh's heart. But it didn't. He didn't. God wanted Pharaoh and the entire nation of Egypt to know that he was in control. That it was not the river God that was responsible for the prosperity of their lands and their crops. But it was the creator God who blessed them. So God was saying to Pharaoh, God was saying to the government that he is the one in control. Through these plagues, these miracles, they were not, God had to make it absolutely clear that these were not natural phenomena. There's a story of a science student at a university sitting in his room reading the Bible. And he's reading this story of the plagues. And he shouts, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then his roommate runs into the room to find out what's going on with him. Roommate is not a believer. He's a scientist. He's an atheist. Doesn't believe in God. And he's sharing with his roommate the wonderful things that God has done. How God parted the Red Sea and allowed the children of Israel to cross on dry land. And the roommate says, come on, do you still believe in this nonsense? Science has already proved this whole book to be a book of fiction and fables and nonsense. And he says to the, the roommate, look, science has already proven that there, this is what the roommate says and what he believes. He said to him that science has already proven that in that part of the Red Sea, when the tide is just right, when the moon is just right, when the winds are just right, when the current is just right, the sea actually recedes and there is a sandbank that is exposed that would allow people to walk across. 
But it wasn't on dry land. He said the, the water was actually ankle high. That's what a lot of people do to God's word, the Bible. Even Christians, even in Christian seminaries, they no longer believe the Bible as it is written. We come up with all sorts of scientific theories to debunk God's power. And we turn to nature and natural phenomena to debunk the miracles of God. Not so, my friends. God is the creator, and the creator has to be more powerful than the created. Now, I'll tell you how that story ends towards the end of the sermon. But God wanted them to know that he was all-powerful, not the government. And we today must be careful that we allow God to work. Let him be in the driver's seat. Let him perform his miracles so that the pharaohs of today will know that there is a God in heaven. If we push God out and we take over the driver's seat and take over the driver's wheel, then those who are pressing us and opposing us will, will say that we are fighting them. Children of Israel did not rise up against Pharaoh. There was no rebellion. There was no coup. But they simply, faithfully, prayerfully, and humbly allowed God to work. And he did in a more powerful way. Because you see, my friends, God can do a work that is more perfect, that is better than any work that you and I can do. And if he is going to work, he has to work through us. And we work as a result of his commands. But I need to bring this message to a close. So God, the plagues of Egypt fell in the context of God's people being in bondage. They cry to God for help. God hears them. And God responds by sending ten plagues upon Egypt in response to their cry so that Pharaoh and the Egyptians can know that there is a God in heaven. Point number four. The story does have a happy ending. We get to chapter 12, and then we have the final plague. But this plague is different. Verse 3, 5, we will read from verse, we will read verse 3, verse 5, and then verse 5 to 7, and then verse 12 to 13. Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. This time, God is not just sending a plague. He sends instructions upon his people. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth month of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And then verse 5, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. So here we have God giving instructions. Very important to follow this. God is giving them instructions or commands. Verse 12 to 13, 
Fast forwarding a little bit. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on the night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. Will I execute what? Judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will do what? I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Very important. And then let's end it off with verse 31 and verse 32 of Exodus chapter 12. Then he called Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. He's actually telling them, go and serve the Lord. It's a pity he didn't come along as well. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. He's asking for a blessing, and Moses should have said, well, if you want a blessing, come along with us. So notice what is happening here. God has freed his people. But with the freedom comes judgment. That night of the Passover was a night of judgment. What do you mean, pastor? First, God gave a command. That command had to be believed. Because before you can act on anything, you have to believe. And that belief is an expression of faith. Are you with me? So there's a command. The people who receive the command express faith and belief. And if they have faith and belief in the one who gave the command, then they obey the command. Obedience always comes in the context of faith. And if they obeyed the command, what would they do? They would apply the blood on the doorposts of their house. And when the death angel passes, you know, before there is any judgment, there must be an investigation. And before there is, or during an investigation, evidence is examined. Evidence is examined. The examination is an investigation. And that investigation ends in a judgment. And so we are Seventh-day Adventists. We believe that before judgment... There is an examination or an investigation taking place. But watch it here. It's all here. That investigation and that judgment comes in the context of a command. The obedience of that command in faith. And the obedience of that command results in the blood being applied. And there is grace throughout the whole process. We often think of the commands and obedience in a dry context like that. And people sometimes shout works, salvation by works. But no, it's not. 
There's a little story I want to share with you quickly of a tightrope walker who put out this ad throughout the whole city that he is going to walk on a tightrope between the two tallest buildings in the city without any net. Thousands of people showed up to see him do it. And he did it with his pole, balancing pole. The wind was very strong and sometimes it felt like he was going to fall over. The crowd gasped, but he made it across. And the crowd cheered and said, oh, wonderful that he did this. And then he looks down at the crowd and he says to them, how many of you believe that I can do it again going the other way? And they all cheered, yes, we believe, we believe you can do it. How many of you believe that I can do it blindfolded this time? Oh, yes, we believe you can do it. They all cheered, yes, we believe. How many of you believe that I could do it blindfolded pushing a wheelbarrow? Yes, we believe, we believe you can do it. Who will be the first person to enter the wheelbarrow? The crowd grew silent. Did they believe? No, they didn't. How do we know they believed? They did not believe. Because they were not willing to act. They were not willing to obey his invitation or his instruction. And so the evidence of faith is action. The evidence of faith is obedience. And here they were to obey by applying the blood. They were not they did not have any evidence that they could see that the angel would they simply believed it by faith. And as the angel passed over, what did he look for? Did he look for obedience? That's another trick question. He didn't look for obedience as something that's tangible. Hey, there's obedience. What the angel looked for was the blood. Are you with me? Somebody should be getting excited. In the judgment, God is looking for the blood of Jesus on your life. Not how well you kept the Sabbath. Not how much tithes and offering you gave. Not how much door knocking you did. Not that these things are not important. They are evidence. The fruit of your faith is obedience. Just like those people, had they believed in the tightrope walker, they would have easily entered the wheelbarrow, but they did not believe. And so there is grace in the investigative judgment. Number five, when God's people are freed, Pharaoh's heart is hardened and Pharaoh pursues them. And what is the result? Chapter 14 of Exodus, verse 5 to 8. What is his attitude? Now, it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, we have done this. Why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots, all the chariots of Egypt, with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. Now wasn't that the same Pharaoh who said, go, go and serve your God? But his heart was hardened. The heart of the enemy 
the heart of the ruler, the heart of the government, was hardened. And verse 10 says, When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes again, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to God again. Then we move to verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. This was a prophetic voice. Moses was actually making a prediction, saying what would happen. And I would like the church to know that the voice of prophecy has to resonate. Because this is the point here when God has freed them. They have left Egypt, but there is this final threat that is coming to potentially exterminate them. And the prophetic voice gives assurance. There's a little book that I would encourage every Seventh-day Adventist and every Seventh-day Adventist family to be reading at this time. It's a little book called Last Day Events. Read it. Study it. Because it speaks to specifically what will happen during what we call the time of trouble. And what God's people ought to do. And what God's people ought not to do. I'm not going to tell you. Go read it for yourself. It's only a very little book. Last day events. It is the prophetic voice guiding God's people and giving them the assurance That even in this final moment where destruction seems sure, God is going to protect, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And the Lord said, verse 15 to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Seems like a very strange thing to say. Why are you praying Now is not the time for prayer. Now is the time for action. Go forward. Trust in God. Move forward. And then we get to verse 26. The drama comes to a climax. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea and over the waters, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots and on their horsemen, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth. While the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots with the horsemen. And all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after him, not so much as one of them remained. That's the result. It's all there. You know, that's why I keep saying I love the Bible. It gives you the whole story. It tells you how the thing will end. So there's no reason to be sitting at the edge of your seat, biting your nails in fear, wondering what's going to happen. God has already said what will happen. I remember this message is about the seven last plagues. 
But we're saying before we can understand the seven last plagues, we need to understand the ten first plagues. Pharaoh and his armies are defeated. Now, is that the last? I told you there were, how many did I say? I think I said six. I think there are actually seven. Something is missing. What's missing? The story does not end there. It's interesting, the scripture reading that was read was from Revelation 15. And if you go to Exodus chapter 15, this is the last piece that's missing. When God's people are freed and the enemy is destroyed, there's a celebration. Now, I don't know how you celebrate. I don't know if you celebrate. But you, some of you might need to close your ears. Where I come from, celebration is done with singing and dancing. And I often wonder in my carnal, fleshly nature how it's all going to work out when we get to heaven. When we are marching through the pearly gates, I think I don't know what's, what God's going to do. But if he doesn't change my people, I think some of us will have to ask God to put them on another side because these people are too loud and they are dancing and they are celebrating and their hands are in the air and they are so excited. I don't know if you celebrate or what you do to celebrate. But in the first ten plagues, there's a celebration and I rather suspect that you suspect in the seven last plagues there's also a celebration. So if you are not used to celebrating now, maybe you should start practicing celebrating, whichever way you want to do so. It ends with verse chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Notice it's singing. It's always singing. Celebration, festivity, joy, happiness comes with singing and music. It's very important. There will be music in heaven. There is music in heaven. There is singing in heaven. They sang this song to the Lord and spoke saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. What is this song? It's the victory song. But the lyrics actually tell of what God has done. Has God done something to you or for you or in your life? Yes. yes, we can focus on the gloom. We can focus on the difficulty of life at this moment. But has God done something for you? Is he seeing you through? Is he carrying you through? Has he blessed you? Has he prospered you? Is there anything you can be thankful for? Then sing about it. Singing your heart. Sing out loud. Sing in your shower. Sing in your bedroom. Sing while you're driving. Sing in church. But sing a song of celebration reciting what God has done for you. You have to be excited about what God has done for you. I mean, I often think if I were an unbeliever and I come to any Adventist church, not this one, for the first time, and I look at the people, would I be drawn 
to them based on the way they interact with their God when they come to church. Their song was a song where they told what God had done for them. It was a testimony. And the last two verses that I want to read, the verse 19 and 20 of Exodus 15. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea. And the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand. And all the women went out after her with the timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And that's the end of Pharaoh. That's the end of persecution. That's the end of oppression. That's the end of bondage. That's the end of every threat that threatens them. A testimony, a song of celebration, of victory of the Lamb. I remember that story of the university student. His roommate went away and he continued reading. And he got to this point in the story of Exodus. And he shouted, hallelujah, praise the Lord, even louder. And his roommate came running, thinking, the building is falling. What's going on? And he was sharing with his roommate what he read, that um, Pharaoh's army were drowned in the sea. And he said, I thought I told you that there's a natural phenomenon that lets the waters recede and it's only ankle high. And then he shouted, hallelujah, praise the Lord even louder. And he said, what are you still so excited about? He said that my God can drown an entire army in ankle high water. <laughs> and we know that's not true because the Bible says the water came back to its depth. But that's the point. That was the point of his faith, but he could still see a miracle. And the question that I have for you today, do you see miracles in your life? The fact that you are saved, the fact that you're still breathing, the fact that you're still alive is a miracle. And are you ready to celebrate and to worship the God of the miracle? Or are you focusing on the difficulties and the troubles? May I encourage you to sing the song of victory. Sing the song of Moses. Focus on the fact that God is victorious and that one day soon we will enter together the promised land. Is that your desire? I want to be Marching into that city. And I want you to be there. For me, one of the blessings of being a pastor, I get to meet many, many, many of the saints. So I always say when I get to heaven, there will be fewer strangers there. Many of you I will know and I'll be looking for you. 
How many would like to say, I want to be there, Pastor? Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father in heaven, as we get ready for the time of trouble, may we be ready. May every day be a day of preparation for us. May we see the things that are happening around us as signs of your soon return. May we have confidence in your word that you, O God, are all-powerful and that nothing is impossible for you. That the difficulties that we may be going through now are only temporary, but ultimately Jesus will come to put an end to sin, to put an end to pain and suffering, to put an end to injustice, put an end to sickness, to put an end to death. Lord, as we have sung this glorious hymn of hope, one day soon, a golden morning will break forth when Jesus will part the skies like a scroll with all of the angels of heaven to come to take his people home. Lord, we will be reunited with our loved ones who have gone before. May this thought, may this promise, may this expectation give us hope to go through this night of gloom. For we know that very soon, morn will break and the night will be over. Bless your people, Father, as we go out into this world. We pray, Father, that our faith in you will sustain us through whatever challenges we may face. And as we leave your place of worship, may we never leave your presence. May your blessings attend us and overflow to touch the hearts of all those we meet. For we ask it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let all God's people say, Amen. message was made available by the Dora Creek Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit doracreek.church.
of praise sang the Lord is coming. Up next from Carly Fletcher's album Eternity Together, this is Choose Life. Each new day God gives you a choice to make Blessing or cursing Life or death It's in your hands The choice is yours to make So what will you choose today? Therefore choose life That you and your descendants may live Will you love the Lord your God And obey His voice For God is your So what will you choose? Will you choose life? Life or death Blessing or cursing The choice is in your hands How will you choose to And so this day, I have a choice to make, blessing or cursing, life or death, how will I live, the choice is mine to make, I choose Jesus Christ. is mine. 
So what will you choose? Will you choose life? Therefore choose life That you and your descendants may live Will you love the Lord your God and obey His voice? For God is your life And the length of your days So what will you choose? Will you choose life today? The Alverson family will now sing, I Call It Home. Somewhere beyond the grave, there is a land that Jesus went to prepare by his own hands. And for the saved by grace, there is Does your faith need a boost? Do you 
think that miracles only happened in Bible times? Think again. Compiled by Remnant Publications, the book Get Ready for a Miracle recounts true stories that prove that when we step out in faith, God displays His power in undeniable ways. Here is our reader, Casey Butler. This story is entitled, Dreams Really Do Come True. 1 Chronicles 28.20 says, Be strong and of a good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Have you ever had a burden on your heart? A vision for something or a dream to help others that just wouldn't go away? Have you wondered whether God would bring that vision to reality? Let me tell you about our experience. In 2002, my husband Steve and I started The Hope of Survivors, a ministry that provides emotional and spiritual support for victims of clergy sexual abuse and educational seminars and resources for pastors and church administrators. Within a very short time, we realized the needs were far greater than we ever imagined. After having to tell so many victims we did not have an actual place for them to stay to receive help, all our support was provided by phone, email or through conferences, we began to pray for God to provide a healing center, a place where victims could come and be renewed. Over the years, we had allowed some victims to come stay with us for a long weekend, sometimes even a much longer time, but it was impractical to do that with most victims. We needed a facility. We prayed and fasted, and fasted and prayed. But every time we thought something might work, it fell through. In April 2013, after believing that a place was finally found and funding would be secured, We were disappointed once again when the door was closed. God clearly shut that door, but where was he leading? Was this vision, this dream of being able to provide what victims needed, just in my head? Had not God placed it there himself? In that moment of disappointment, yet again, I prayed and said, God, I can't take this emotional roller coaster ride anymore. If you want the hope of survivors to have a healing center, you are going to have to drop it in our laps. I refused to try anymore. I was done with it. Then, in June, the possibility of a place was once again brought to our attention. Would it work out this time? We did not know. We prayed, fasted and waited. The answer was to come in July. I prayed, God, if this is your will, please let the answer this couple needs come on July 1st. That way they will know beyond a shadow of doubt that you want them to donate this place to the hope of survivors. And we will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is your will and not our own. Well, the answer came. The couple who owned the Bedford Inn received the answer to their prayer and it came on July 1, just as I had asked for in my prayer. 
It took a few months for things to be processed, but as of October 1, 2013, the hope of survivors finally had a healing centre. It still amazes me to think of how God orchestrated it all. It just so happened that Steve and I were scheduled to be out of the country, away for various speaking appointments and otherwise obligated through the end of the year. So we knew we couldn't officially open the Renewal Centre until January. However, having the building was just the first step. We needed a program director. It had never been our vision to be the ones operating the healing centre because with Steve's pastoral duties and my administrative duties at the Hope of Survivors, we had too many other obligations. We just knew there was a need and we had a burden for it to be filled. So, just like with the healing centre, we went before God and prayed. Lord, you alone know whom you want to have as the program director. We do not have time to search for someone, to wade through resumes and references to risk bringing in the wrong person. Please, just like you did with the house, please drop a program director in our laps. And God did. On January 20, 2014, Vivian Kelly and her husband Sangman Lee arrived. Viv now serves as the program director for the Renewal Centre and we have already had several victims come to receive renewed hope and healing as they reconnect with Jesus, our Saviour and Healer. Here is what one individual said after having been at the Renewal Centre. The hope of survivors did exactly what their name says. They gave hope, light and encouragement to our daughter and her family as they are dealing with sexual abuse by their pastor. I am a pastor and this is the most appalling and bitter emotional experience I've ever faced. I thank God that our family sensed his spirit of wisdom, love, acceptance and comfort through the lives of the staff at the Hope of Survivors, a light that shines in a dark place. 2 Peter 1.19 We were in a very dark place as a family trying to reach out to precious family members who were being abused by the very one we had all trusted. Out of the darkness came this glorious light God gave through the hope of survivors. This ministry is true to God's word and in tune with the Holy Spirit. It was evident that God rescued our family and used the hope of survivors in his healing process. This is all in addition to the victims the hope of survivors continues to serve day in and day out through email and phone. Praise God for answered prayers. So, my friends, if you're ever discouraged and wondering whether or not God will do what he has placed on your heart to do, please take courage in the promise found in Hebrews 6.15. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. What God has said he will do, he will do. If the story ended there, it would be incredible enough, but it doesn't end there. You see, the Renewal Center needed some renovations in order to make it better suited for victims and their healing journey. Bathrooms needed to be added for privacy and security. A loft apartment above the garage was to be completed. Water and sewer needed to be brought to the garage for that and many other things needed to be done. How could we possibly do this? 
The hope of survivors did not have funds for this and we did not have time to do it ourselves. Then God provided Maranatha Volunteers International to help with the renovations. And what a blessing those volunteers have been. Not only that, God provided a grant funds coming soon from the Adventist Layman Services and Industries Mid-America chapter that will enable us to complete the renovations. Truly, I am amazed at what God has done and how he has opened so many doors of opportunity for the hope of survivors. We know that it is not about us or the organization, though. It is about the wounded lambs that God wants to heal and restore as we lift him up for victims to behold. By his grace and with your support, the hope of survivors can continue to fulfill its God-given mission. A reflection associated with this story comes from the Desire of Ages, page 330. Worry is blind and cannot discern the future. But Jesus sees the end from the beginning. In every difficulty, he has his way prepared to bring relief. Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing. Those who accept the one principle of making the service and honour of God supreme will find perplexities vanish and a plain path before their feet. Dreams Really Do Come True was written by Samantha Nelson, co-founder of The Hope of Survivors. The Hope of Survivors ministry provides support, hope and healing for victims of pastoral sexual abuse. You can visit thehopeofsurvivors.com for more information. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.